The title of this morning's message is The Habit of Daily Devotion. This is the third message in a series of lost disciplines of the American church. Practices that our forefathers understood, and even a generation before us understood, that seem to be lost and increasingly more difficult to find. And so we talked the first week about being filled with the Spirit and how important it is that we depend on Him for all that we do. In and of ourselves, we don't have the power to do anything, but with His Spirit speaking to us and through us, we can do anything. Last week, we talked about holiness and how important it is to take holiness seriously, to be totally devoted to Him, to be serious about sin. But today, we want to talk about the habit of daily devotion, the habit of daily devotion. I'm going to ask some men to come up here and help me for just a moment. Um, Scott Doss, would you come up here and uh, join me? And um, let's see who else I can, I can grab. Woody Bird, why don't you come up here? I'll grab you on that side. And um, let's see, Brother Keith, why don't you come up here? He's, he was not, he's trying to avoid eye contact, but uh, I got him. Come, come on up here, gentlemen. Come up here and join me on the platform for just a moment. We are, uh, we're talking about habits. And, um, and uh, just, just turn and face that group. And, and uh, I want you to think, gentlemen, for just a moment about a habit that you have that you got from your dad or your granddad in some way, a habit that you have. Now, originally when I conceived this, I thought about having somebody up here to tell us what those habits were. Um, do, um, does your wife like your habits? No. No, okay. So um, do you, do you, are you known for having good habits or bad habits? Oh, only good ones. Only good ones. <laughs> somebody cackled out there at that point. How about you, Keith? You, did, would Cindy say you have good habits or some bad habits? Oh, yeah, good ones, yeah. Good ones, okay. This is a much more optimistic group than in the first hour. Um, okay, I hope you thought of it, a habit that you believe that you got from your dad or your granddad. Uh, Keith, what, what comes to mind? Nothing really. <laughs> Okay, well, that, that, that works. So, so do you resemble your dad or granddad in any way? Probably. Probably. All right. Cindy, I'm almost this close to having you come up and help. Does, <laughs> does he have any habits that he inherited, do you think? Do you think... That's not a habit. Being quiet's not a habit? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Woody... Did you inherit a habit or pick up a habit from your dad or granddad? Yeah, he always told me if I couldn't say anything good about people, not say anything at all. Well, that's a good habit, isn't it? How did you, how did you pick that up from him? Way back when I was small. Way back when you were small. Did I he... had never been small, but... Uh, we, we weren't commenting on that, would he? I, I, I just brought it out. Okay. Now, now uh, when, you're, when you picked this habit of what you were going to say or not say about somebody, did your dad sit down and say, now, would he? Here's how you talk. Did he do that? Yes. He did? Yeah. Okay, so he was very intentional about it and explaining to you what you yes. should do. Well, very good. That's a great habit for a dad to pass on, isn't it? You're not so sure? Yeah, okay, I heard one. Hey, Scott, what, what habit do you feel like you picked up from your dad or your granddad? Trying to read my Bible every day. Trying to read your Bible every day. Well, that's a good one. How, how did you come to see that in your dad or granddad and pick up on that? I realized it was really important 
February the 4th, 1978. My dad's business burned to the ground. Uh, after he got through, it started about 4 o'clock in the morning. When he got to uh, the house about 9.30 or 10 to uh, clean up and go back, the very first thing he did before he cleaned up was he took time to open his Bible and read his daily devotional and, and pray. Wow, that's a great, great heritage. You know, all, all three of these men are, are special and what God has done in their life. You know they're passing on a heritage as well. And most dads are, whether you know it or not, you're passing on a heritage. And, um, and we hope it's the best parts of who we are and not, not always the worst. Thank these men for taking some time with us up here this morning. Thank you, gentlemen. And, you know, I can't imagine a, a more uh, significant thing, dads, that you and I can do that our family might notice. And that is spending that time alone with the Lord. I want to talk to you today about that habit. I believe it's the most important habit that you and I can have, and that's the habit of daily devotions or quiet time or spending time alone with God. You can use different words for it, but, but it describes the same act of being alone with God. And, um, and you know, in years before I came to win, when I would travel and teach, I would ask people about, do you have a quiet time? Or tell me what happens in your time alone with God. And increasingly, over the years, I get blank looks. And people don't know what you're talking about. They don't know what it means to spend time alone with God or to have a quiet time. And, and what do you do? And what happens? And it seems like it's a little mysterious thing that happens behind the curtain. So I want us today to give thought to that. Uh, when I was in high school, I didn't know the Lord for most of my high school experience. Uh, in the middle years of high school, the world for me became to be a very, very dark place. And I don't I'm not going to share my whole testimony right now, but, but uh, even as a teenager, I struggled at that point in my life with thoughts of ending my life, suicidal thoughts, because the world was just dark to me. I was a good student, and uh, outwardly, everybody thought I was okay, but inwardly, uh, I didn't have anything to live for. I didn't have any hope. And at the end of the summer, before my senior year, a friend invited me to go to church with them. And at that particular church, and I had been raised in another church, but that particular church, for the very first time in my life, I heard that Jesus died for me on the cross. And he wasn't some distant God stuck away in some faraway corner of the universe, but he was a personal God. He loved me, and he wanted me to come and put my trust in him. And in the fall of 1978, on a cool uh, fall morning, I went forward in a little church uh, just outside Dayton, Ohio, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My whole world changed. The world was no longer dark. It was bright. And I was absolutely excited and thrilled to be a Christian. And uh, it, when I tell the story, I explain, and I'm being truthful. I lost every friend I had in two months. They were all going to hell, and I thought, well, they needed to know that. And uh, I wasn't the best, the best, most winsome witness at that point in my life. And God changed, changed me and helped me grow a little bit in that area. But, you know, within weeks after I became a Christian, uh, they advertised the church, they announced that they were going to have a class on a Sunday night called How to Have a Devotional Life. How to Have a Devotional Life. I've still got the little booklet that was used in that class. And I keep it in the back of my Bible that I use in my time alone with the Lord just as a reminder that that's where it began. And when I discovered that I could have an audience with the God who loved me, the God who saved me, 
every single day, it changed my life. And, and if it hasn't changed yours, it can. And so this morning, the habit of daily devotion is what we want to give our attention to. More than anything else, it has shaped my life. And I believe God wants to use it to shape the life of every Christian here, every believer. He wants to use your time alone with him to change you. Not only sermons, but also the major messages of my life where God has spoken to me, changed me, convicted me about what I was or wasn't doing as a husband or what I was or wasn't doing as a dad. It was in those times alone with the Lord that he corrected me and changed me and grew me. Now, Jesus did this. Jesus spent time alone with his Father. The key verse I want to share with you today is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Listen to what God's Word says. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, just like you and me, Jesus couldn't see the Father, but he knew God was there. And he didn't have to go out to a solitary place, but he did. And he knew the Father was waiting for him, waiting for him to come, waiting for him to to pray, waiting to be with him. He knew the Father sees and hears when we pray. And the Lord Jesus is our model for this. He knew this relationship mattered more than anything else that he could possibly do in a day. So he carved out time daily to be alone with his Father. Do you? Do you? As you? If you were honestly just looking at your own life, do you set aside time daily to be alone with the Lord? There are four keys, I believe, to forming or maintaining a habit of a devotional life. Here's the first one, and I'm going to do it around questions. The first question is why? Why have a devotional life? Why spend time alone with God? Why have a quiet time? Well, the first reason is daily food. Daily food. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Listen to it. Moses is speaking, talking about their time in the wilderness. He says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You know, there was that moment in the wilderness where the people thought they were dying, that if they didn't eat something, they were just going to fade away, just dry up and blow away. And they complained to the Lord. And you remember what God did? He spoke, and manna began to fall from the sky six days a week. And it didn't fall on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. On that particular day, a double portion would fall. People could collect more than the usual amount. But you know, that manna only lasted for how long? Those of you who are Bible scholars, you know, how long did the manna last? One day. One day. Most days, unless it was a Sabbath. Now, now listen to what Moses is saying. God is using the picture of physical food to talk to you about something very important spiritually. Man, he did this so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Have you ever considered that God has a word for you every day? That God has something he wants to say to you every day? For that day? For that particular day? What a tragedy it might be that you and I would miss something that God has for us. Simply because we didn't take the time. Simply because we didn't bother. I believe God has a word for you every day. 
as you open the scripture, as you pray, as you talk to him, he has manna for you for that day. That day, not only is it going to transform you over the course of your life if you do that daily, but for that particular day, he's going to give you something that you need. And I can't imagine better preparation for your day than listening to the Lord and receiving the manna that he has for you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. I mean, what are you going to do now if you put all that aside uh, lay, lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. What should you do? He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Every day you're feeding your spiritual life, and uh, he has manna for you. But you need that daily food, not just because there's some direction, some help, some gift that God has for you in that day. But it's through the receiving of that daily intake that God grows you. Like a newborn baby says, crave the pure milk of the word. Why? So you can grow. So you can grow. And you can grow in your capacity to recognize God's voice. You will grow in your your likeness to Jesus and your responses so that increasingly you respond and act and speak like Jesus. And so the word is essential for that. You know what the opposite of that is? If you're not taking in the word, if you're not craving the word, if you're not spending time in the word, are you going to grow? No, you're not. And so you are depriving yourself of something you desperately need as a Christian as a follower of Christ. So why do we do it? Daily food. But not only for daily food. We need it for daily faith. In Romans chapter 10 verse 17, the Apostle Paul says in passing, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now I don't think you need me to tell you this, but you and I are headed into one of the darker periods of American history. I believe that with all my heart. That the longer you and I go along, the longer you and I live and and God help our children and grandchildren that the longer you and I live, we're going to live in increasingly a, a more and more spiritually dark period of our lives. Where being a Christian or admitting that you're a Christian is not going to be something you can do casually. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. It may mean the loss of your job. It may mean the loss of some benefit. It may mean the loss of something related to your home. It may mean the loss of your life. And do you have a faith that can withstand that kind of test? Do you have a faith that's prepared for that kind of test? You know, God's going to test your faith. God's Word tells us He's going to test your faith. You know, the old-timers used to say that a faith that's not tested is a faith that can't be trusted. You don't know how it's going to happen. But if you're spending time in God's Word, you know what God's going to do to you from time to time? He's going to speak to you through the Scripture. And when He speaks to you through the Scripture... You recognize that God is speaking. And you know what that does to your faith? Shoots it through the ceiling. God is speaking to me. You're reading along, you're reading along, reading along. All of a sudden, the words light up, and it's like they're burning in your mind, burning in your heart. When those disciples on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus was speaking to them about the Scripture, when he disappeared, it says, did our hearts not burn within us as the Lord opened the Scriptures to us? And that's what he does. When you read and he meets with you, he speaks to you. So what does Paul mean in Romans 10, 17? He says, faith comes by hearing, okay? And hearing by the what? 
the Word of God. And the word, word there is the word rhema in the Greek, and it refers to a spoken word or utterance. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the utterance of God. Nothing will grow your faith more than when you're spending time alone with Him and you recognize that He has spoken to you. You can't trust anything else than God's Word. You don't know what to do with your life if God doesn't speak to you. You don't know what direction to take if He doesn't speak, but when He speaks and you know it's Him and you trust Him, your faith grows. Well, there's a third reason why you and I need to form this habit. Why? Daily food. We need daily faith, but we also need daily fellowship. Daily fellowship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, Paul writes these words, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, if you, you go back later today and you read the verses, maybe going back to verse 8 in chapter 4, and you read what the Apostle Paul says. He said, we're knocked down, we're hard-pressed. He has all these descriptions of what's happening to him. It's not easy. It's not light reading. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is an absolutely incredible statement that he would describe what had happened to him as light. I think the average Christian, you and me both, if we'd experienced even one time getting stoned, we'd say, that's it. <laughs> I have suffered for God. And Paul looked at it and said, light affliction, light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So look at what he says. He's not losing heart. The outward man is perishing. Uh, how many of you all know that your outward man is perishing? <laughs> If you don't, you will. <laughs> Your outward man is perishing. He says, but what's happening on the inside? What's happening on the inside? The inner man, the inward man, is being renewed when? Day by day by day by day. Not once a week. Not once a month. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. And, and how is that renewal taking place? He says, because we look at the unseen. And that time alone with God is your opportunity to focus on the unseen. That time alone with God is time to focus on the eternal. And that time alone with God will give you the spiritual fiber you need when you encounter difficult times and tough moments in your life. It flows out of that fellowship, that intimacy with an unseen, all-seeing God. Well, the first question is why? Well, I need that daily manna from God, don't you? I need to hear a word from the Lord every day, and he has something for me, and I don't want to miss it. But there's a second question we need to ask. When? When? This is another key to spending time alone with God. When? When are you going to do it? Well, in our opening verse, we read Mark 135. Maybe this is the answer. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he played. He prayed in the morning. Is that the only time that you could have a time alone with God? Well, look at Luke 6, 12. He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Well, maybe that's the standard we ought to pursue. How many of us have prayed all night? Spent a whole night in prayer to God. And uh, not just because you were burdened, but just because you sought to be alone with God. 
And that's what Jesus did. Look at Luke 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So all these crowds are coming. So what's he do? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. The bigger the crowds got, the more Jesus sought time alone with his father. He'd had a particularly long day, particularly difficult day. Very next morning, he'd get up early and he'd do it again. He spent time alone with God. When should you spend time alone with God? Well, you might be a morning person. You know, on our staff, we got morning people. I tend, I tend to be more of a morning person. We also have on our staff people who are not morning people. In fact, they're not morning people even by 8 o'clock. Anybody can identify with that? I mean, they're evening people. They're just getting, they're just getting started at 12 midnight. <laughs> and, and so we all have different preferences. So is there one particular time you should have time alone with God? Well, surely when you start your day, I wouldn't want to start my day without saying good morning, Lord. I wouldn't want to start my day without blessing the Lord and praising Him. And so at a minimum, I, I think we ought to do that. But is that going to be your time alone with God? If you're not a morning person, you may just spend most of your quiet time with your nose plant in the Bible. You know, you just may be passed out. And you, you need to give your best time to the Lord. And the time you can be most responsive to him. What are the characteristics that should govern your time alone with God? Well, here's one. It should be unhurried time. Unhurried time. Hurry kills intimacy. When you get in a hurry, you're going to miss things. You're not going to notice things uh, because you are in a hurry. So make it unhurried time. It should be unhindered time. Keep your phone off. It can wait. Keep it on stun. Put it in airplane mode. Whatever you know. If you don't know how to do it, just leave it in another room. Put it under something. But, but leave your phone out of it. It needs to be a time where, where you can come before the Lord and not be interrupted. Unbreakable time. Carve it out. Make it a priority. How many of you would skip a meal regularly? I mean, I'm looking at you. Tell the truth. Um, look at me. I'm telling the truth. I don't miss many meals. And uh, especially Father's Day, and they're buying. I mean, we're not going to skip that. Uh, but, but we need to make our time alone with God just like that. It needs to be just as important to us as eating a meal. Carve it out. Make it an unbreakable time. Well, there's another question. The first key, why? Uh, well, I want to receive daily manna from the Lord. When? Well, I need to carve out time daily. It may not be the morning. I might be better in the evening. I might be better at different times of the day. The third question is this, where, where, excuse me, <coughs> where should you have time alone with God? Well, there's a verse we studied earlier this year in Matthew 6 and verse 6, and Jesus told us where to do this. He told us where to have time alone with God. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what does Jesus say about where you should pray? pray? He says, go find a place. And that place should have certain characteristics. And he gives you what they are. It should be a place that allows for open communication. You know, my, my preference is to be able to speak out loud. And I may have to do it softly. But my preference is to talk to God out loud. You know that most of the praying... And Jesus' day was done out loud. Uh, praying with your mouth closed was just not as common. 
and people tended to pray out loud. They read their scripture out loud. If they were sitting reading the Bible, they read it out loud. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch? When Philip came up to him, what was the man doing? He's reading the scripture out loud. That's what they did. Well, if that helps you um, focus, you need to do that. And, um, and so it needs to be a place of open communication. I don't want people hearing uh, what I'm praying about. Secondly, it needs to be a place that allows for mental concentration. Mental concentration. Let's say you wake up, alarm goes off. You reach over, you hit the alarm. You're going to try to have time alone with God. Right there on your back, <laughs> with your head on the pillow, you reach over, grab your Bible, and 30 minutes later, you've had your quiet time when the, the alarm goes off a second time. Uh, I don't think that's what God has in mind when we talk about a quiet time. That may not be the best place for you. It needs to be a place where you can concentrate, and, um, and so it may be a, a chair. It may be a well-lit space. It may be a fence post in the backyard. I've done that before. It may be out in a minivan with a flashlight. I've done that before. I don't know where it needs to be, but it needs to be a place where you can concentrate. And you won't be distracted. You know, Sammy Tippett, who was with us just about a year ago, February, has a physical condition where he can't get on his knees without falling asleep. It does something to his blood flow. I don't know what it is. So, you know, all his praying, he does walking. It may be in a room with the door closed, but he walks. And that allows for him to concentrate. There's a third thing. A place also should allow for deliberate isolation. Deliberate isolation. For Jesus, the goal is really simple. He wants you to find a place where it will be just you and the Father and nobody else. The Father who sees in secret, he says, will reward you openly. Just where it's you and God and nobody else. Do you have a place? Do you have a place? Not only do you have a time, but do you have a place where you go to spend time alone with God? Men and women who do this, who carve out time, who have a place, are showing great faith in an unseen, all-seeing God. And I believe God's going to honor that. When you come, say, Lord, here I am. Now, what do you do when you get there? Well, that's our next question. How? How? We've talked about why. I need daily manna. We talked about when, sometime each day. We talked about where, a secret place to be alone with God. But how? Well, you need some kind of plan. Well, look, I don't think there's one formula that's going to fit everybody here. There are certain elements that should be part of your time with the Lord, and I'm going to talk about those. But don't ever get trapped in a formula or feel like you're falling short because you haven't done everything you think you should do in your time alone with God. What are some of the elements that should be a part of your time with God? Well, here's the first one. Be still. Be still. Some of you don't know how to be still when it's just you and nobody else. I mean, you can be still in here because we're all in here with you. But, but when you're by yourself, can you be still? Now, why be still? Well, he says in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. He's saying that if you and I will get still and recognize that we're not alone and that he is here with us, he says, you will know that he is God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. To know him, you want to know him? You don't want to know that he's real? First thing you need to do is just slow down, friend. Just slow down and be still, he says, and you'll know that I'm God. Be still. You know, some mornings, I'll just be honest with you, there's some mornings that's as far as I get. 
That's just as far as I get. Just becoming aware of who he is, knowing he's there, knowing that my father loves me and I get to be with him. Sometimes that's all I need to do that morning. Well, there's another element. I want to encourage you to be confident. Be confident. Some people think, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not godly enough. I'm not great enough to spend time alone with God. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. And so if I come to God, I don't even know what to say. And I'm not sure that God's interested in what I have to say. But I'm telling you, you can be confident. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, the writer says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly. What's that mean? Confidently. You see, your father loved you so much that there was a time in the Old Testament where you could not go into the presence of God, not in any way, shape, fashion, or form. There was a holiest of holies. There was a heavy curtain that blocked all humanity from going in there except once a year when the high priest went in there and confessed the sins of people with the blood of goats and so forth. But the rest of the time, nobody could go in there. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, you'll remember that the moment of his death, that the veil in the temple, heavy, thick, hundreds of pounds, that that veil split in two, starting at the top, and went all the way to the bottom. What's God saying to you and me? Well, in that incredible visual, he's saying, the way to me is now wide open. Why? Because Jesus died for your sin. Everything necessary so that you could step in boldly into the presence of God has been taken care of by Jesus. Boldly, you can come to the throne of grace. Don't ever feel like he doesn't want to hear you. Don't ever feel like he doesn't want you to come to him. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. There's a third element. Be open. Be open. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He already knows. He already knows. So be honest with him. Be transparent. Be yourself. Oh, God, I don't feel good today. Oh, God, I feel miserable today. God, I'm afraid today. God, I'm angry today. Be honest with him. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. And sometimes you'll find things that are going on inside you you weren't even fully conscious of. But he'll bring it. He'll bring it to the surface. And he'll speak to you about it. He'll teach you about it. He'll help you deal with it. Be open. Last one is be loving. Be loving. And this is probably one of the more important things that I'm going to share. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Some years ago, Jerry White, who was here in February for our spiritual growth week, um, taught me something about spending time alone with God that I never forgot. I think up to that point, my primary interest when I spend time alone with God was kind of selfish, to be honest. I was coming to the Lord for what He could do for me. And um, I had a need or I had a problem, and I would go to the Lord with that. And, and Jesus said, that you and I are supposed to love the Father with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. How does that affect my time alone with Him? I think it means this. That when I come before the Lord, it's not about me. It's not about me. And I'm there to please Him. 
I'm there because he calls me to come. I'm there because I have the capacity as his child to bring him pleasure, to bring him honor, to bring him great joy. In Psalm 100, years before Jesus taught this, in Psalm 100, verses 1 to 5, he writes, Make a joyful shout to the Lord. What kind of shout should it be? Oh, my. What kind of shout should it be? Joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with sadness. Is that what it says? No. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence. How? With singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates. How? With thanksgiving and into his courts. How? With praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Psalm 100, if I bring that to my time alone with God, it's not about me, is it? There's nothing in there that makes it about me. It's not about me. It is all about him. It's all about blessing him. It's all about expressing my joy to him. It's all about bringing him praise, blessing him, thanking him. It will revolutionize your prayer time. If you go into it with one objective, I want to please the Lord. I want to bless Him. I want to bring Him joy today. Well, here's the bottom line. The bottom line, the habit of daily devotion begins with a decision. It begins with a decision. This message is not enough to change you. It's not enough to get you going in a habit of spending time alone with God. And I could have loaded up the guilt, I suppose, and tried to guilt you into it. And I might have got you to, to try something tomorrow, but it wouldn't have lasted. Can I tell you what it's going to take for you to have regular time alone with God? You've got to make this decision. Ask God to break your heart. Ask God to break your heart. Ask Him to break your heart for neglecting Him, for not receiving the word He asks for you every day. Ask your God to stir up your heart, to give you a craving for the pure milk of the word like Peter writes about so that you can grow thereby. Ask God to break your heart. You know, when you're heartbroken, when a person experiences true brokenness, the way the Scripture talks about brokenness, brokenness is simply this. It means looking at your life, looking at a situation in such a way you can never see it the same way again. Ask God to show you your life without Him. Show Him your life. Ask Him to show you what your life could be if you spent time alone with Him each day. If you're already a man or woman who spends time alone with the Lord, be encouraged, dear brother, dear sister. And just seek Him more and more to please Him. Enjoy your time with Him. Nothing is going to feed you more. Nothing is going to build your faith more. Nothing is going to fortify you for the ups and downs and the difficulties of life than your daily time alone with God. But do you have a decision to make? I would encourage you to say, Lord, break me. Break me. Break me in this area. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes.
The, um, the Bible is clear. We are missing something tremendously in the church of North America when we don't spend the time alone with the Lord. Puts us in a position where we try to do everything in our own strength, in our own flesh. And the word is very clear that apart from him, we can do nothing. We desperately need him. And who wants to miss a word from the Lord that he has for you today? If he compares uh, his spoken word, what he has to say to you, if he compares that to daily food, if our inner man can only be renewed day by day, not week by week, if he calls us, if Jesus sets the pattern by going out to the wilderness over and over again to be alone with the Father, if that's what Jesus did, how can we think that we can do any less? How can we even imagine that we can get by life doing less than that? And so, brother, sister, I just encourage you, if you have a burden on your heart this morning, we're here at the front. We'll be glad to pray with you. You can come and pray at the altar if you're carrying a burden. We've had tragedy this week. Uh, we've had people who are sick this week. We have people who are hurting, facing challenges, people who need work this week. We have vacation Bible school coming up this week, all kinds of kids. Some of them are going to be hearing the gospel for the first time. We've got a lot of things to pray about. And so if you need to pray, you can pray there. You can come down front and pray. And, um, and if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted in Him, He's done everything necessary to open up the doors so that you can have a relationship with the Father. He died for your sins. And the greatest need of your life is to be born again. And that happens when a man or woman puts their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, surrenders their life to Him and said, Lord, save me, I trust you. Come inside me, change me, make me new. If you would like to do that this morning, I'll be here at the front. Mike's here, there'll probably be someone else here, and we'll be happy to pray with you. We'll answer your questions, we'll share scripture with you. But you can leave here today with a new life, a new life, a new beginning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your awesome, tender love for us that you offer us every day. Forgive us. For the countless times we've neglected time with you in exchange for something else, more sleep or something else. God, forgive us. May we be known as a people who walk with God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.